there and hello everybody and welcome to the Love City Arts Podcast. I'm Andre in the Flow and today I'm joined by Stacia Turner. She's a creative and a worker in environmental justice and equity based in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for being here, Stacia. Thanks for having me. Good to, good to have you. Um, I knew that I had to talk with you on the air here, and I knew that I had to have you in my heart from the very first time I met you. Margarita is a mutual friend of ours and mm -hmm. brought us together um, in a bit of a crazy living situation, but oh, you, <laughs> you are the gift <laughs> that I got out of that situation in addition to Marg, and so I feel like the universe wanted this to happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that was definitely a silver lining to that gray cloud of a circumstance. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed, indeed. So tell me about your gifts and what you're giving to the world, particularly um, in the area of environmental justice. Sure. Um, so I have been in a, uh, an environmental enthusiast, I guess, since high school. Um, one of my best friends and I started a club called Community Care Committee, where we would basically do uh, cleanup projects. We um, would, we created recycling bins throughout our school and painted them like with cool colorful murals so that people would like pay attention. Um, and I think I've just, my personality, my being, I'm very grounded in, in, in nature and in nature space. And as I began to you know, study environmentalism, I, I saw that there was a discord and who was welcomed and present in those spaces. Um, it's usually predominantly middle class to upper middle class white people who sort of dominate the environmental movement, environmental advocacy, um, and the environmental academic and research disciplines. And so navigating that space made me sort of really contemplate how um, the way I had grown up had really informed my appreciation and love for nature and how a lot of black and brown kids, especially living in urban areas where they have degraded green space or not very much green space and or, you know, are living in circumstances of uh, urban poverty and blight. Uh, I recognized at an early age how problematic that was uh, societally because from my perspective, there, you know, not everyone, uh, oh, can I use profanity? You you sure can. Okay, okay. And, and love to be art, you can. This ain't nobody's church. Okay. <laughs> it might be my church. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Well, then I'll be respectful <laughs> of your church, but it, 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 does your, do they curse in your church? Uh, they do if this is it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Absolutely. <laughs> um, but I was about to say, like, it's really, you know, although some people just think that, like, Black people don't fuck with the environment, it's really, it's a, there's a much more complicated history of why there is a push-pull between um, African Americans in particular having a very complicated uh, relationship with the environment and whether we do or don't feel safe in nature spaces. And so, okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pause you and ask about that. Um, beyond the the obvious feelings of angst and lack of security and comfort that Black and Brown people can feel in the so-called United States of America, um, when you say that they don't feel safe in nature, what, what are you talk What are you talking about? So I'll preface my response to this by saying, for people who are really interested in this and in exploring this concept. 
Um, there's a really great book by Carolyn Finney called uh, Black Faces, White Spaces. And she does a really great job looking at um, media, art, entertainment, popular culture, and, um, and history, and exploring, you know, segregation among national park spaces, ways that um, uh, black people have been racialized when we are included in, um, in representations of nature and the environment. So, you know, there's so many images about black people as like apes or monkeys and things like that. So it's like, unless we're caricatured in some way in, in environment or nature spaces, we often aren't included as people who are outdoor enthusiasts. And, you know, especially- right, As in like black people who hike or black yeah, people- Yeah, right. And things like that. Right, right. And, and it's problematic because if we don't see ourselves represented in this culture of like appreciating nature, then it's hard for us also to control that narrative and to see ourselves in those spaces. Uh, and the reality is there are, you know, there's black people who do any, everything, right? So there are obviously me that, you know, there's black people who love to hike, love to canoe, love to be in nature, are environmental advocates. Um, and Carolyn Finney does a really great job of like, putting some case studies of black environmental activists that are pretty much under the radar because the dominant narrative of the environmental movement does not want to represent diversity because they want to make nature spaces, um, they want to colonize them particularly for white people essentially. And yeah. so uh, my kind of life's work or one of my main passions has really been to work in communities of color to help um, to help working class black and brown folks a understand what the state of their local environment is understand how it got to be there so like i'm working on a park project in durham and all the neighborhoods on the far east side of durham are in a floodplain so those properties have a lot of issues with flooding which you know affects your property value can create like mold issues in your basement and your roof um there's water quality issues with excessive flooding um you know having excessive still water creates more mosquitoes like so there's all these you know challenging environmental factors that happen because these people were situated in the city planning of this place to be in the least of desirable um, real estate, essentially. Right. So, so how do you go, do you, are you going into Durham and actually talking to the people there and asking them questions about how they're directly affected by said floodplain? So it's less of yes and no. So, um, we have really worked to create, educate in my organization. We work to create, um, with our local partner on the ground, um, educational materials that talk about like what what is a um, what is a watershed? Where do you sit within your own watershed? And sort of breaking down these very basic things about like why their area floods. What is a watershed? Okay, so a watershed is um, so in the physical landscape there are varying elevations, right? You have high points and you have low points, and when rain, when precipitation comes onto the earth, 
it's going to flow downward, right, from high elevation to low elevation. So among any city or landscape, there's, there's peaks and valleys in terms of the elevation of a landscape. And a watershed is an area at which um, the landscape, uh, the, where water flows down goes into the nearest like waterway. So be it a stream, uh, a lake, whatever, whatever kind of waterway is the nearest one, a watershed encompasses the high point to the low point of a certain area. Mm. Water is flowing into the next waterway. Mm, 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 that mm. makes sense. And so people knowing where those are in their communities directly affects them in what way? It affects them by understanding A, whether they're at the top or the bottom of it. So if you're at the top, you're going to be the least likely to be exposed to environmental pollution because you're at the highest point, right? So when water flows down, it's picking up all the oil from cars, all of any chemicals that people put on the street, fertilizers from people's lawns. So the farther down on the watershed you are, the more contaminated the water that's around you can be. Which directly impacts your health. Yeah, directly impacts your health, especially if your kids are playing around a creek, which kids often do. Um, it also can affect the sanitation system because in a lot of these like aging cities, they, have, they may have a sanitation system where when you get really, really heavy rains, that the drain system can't accommodate both the sewage system and the stormwater system. And that can create um, instances where sewage, like raw sewage is overflowing into, um, into groundwater because the system is not, was not built to sustain that much rainwater and pavement. Yeah. Like CSOs and things like that. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And the more pavement in a city you have, the worse these heavy flooding events that we're getting more frequently with climate change, um, the more issues with stormwater you're going to have because you don't have soil that's absorbing the water and filtering it. You just have pavement that's allowing water to just slide right down it. Wow. Are people in rural communities or in city spaces more affected by, you know, these level, this level of pollution? Um, I would say usually urban people are more impacted because there's more pavement. So there's more opportunities. In, in any urban area, usually the water, the, the whatever waterway usually has issues with contamination because there is industry, because people do use fertilizer on their lawns, because people do pour oil out in places that they shouldn't. Um, so usually urban areas are much more impacted um, by stormwater issues and water contamina contamination issues. And it's also a trend that black communities are often situated in floodplains as well. So, Wow, wow, wow. So, uh, I mean, when did you, you said in high school you were involved in your environmental projects and environmental clubs. When did this grab hold of you as a professional endeavor? When did you know that you wanted to, like, be plugged into this um, in a very, like, adult kind of way? I mean, kids going into their schools and painting their recycle bins and things like that is a very wonderful outlet. But when did you know that you wanted to actually do this in, in a real meaningful way? adult to adult? Sure, good question. Um, so I think early on in my undergraduate career, I knew 
that I wanted to be doing something related to environmental advocacy, environmental science research. Um, but I was very, I, I really only had a vague idea of what that would mean professionally because um, traditionally uh, env the environmental field has been very heavy on physical sciences. So like ecology and natural history and, and forestry and those sorts of things and agriculture. Um, and not that I'm not interested in those things, but I was really captivated by the social science um, social cultural aspects of like, how do we engage with the environment? How does the environment engage with us? How do we incorporate more organic designs in the way we're building our cities and our societies? And how can I teach the work, the average working class person, how they can make behavior changes that will impact the larger good of having a healthy and clean environment. So I would say like, you know, I didn't, I, so I finished undergrad and I was sort of like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, a, you know, there's some of these like canvassing organizations, but those don't necessarily seem the most legitimate all the time. And, you know, not while like I, I did do that job. Uh, I was a canvasser for um, an environmental org uh, when I was in undergrad, but I wanted to do something larger than that. Um, and I wasn't quite sure what, and I had one teacher who was like, are you going to grad school? And I was like, I mean, no, I didn't think I was going to. I don't know if I'm even capable of like getting into grad school. And he was like, you should really consider grad school. You are one of the few students who take this coursework very seriously and engage with it in a way that's curious and thoughtful and critical. And those are the exact kind of skills you need in graduate school. And that's all it really took for me to see myself in that space and like to kind of sort of see myself as uh, someone who could be a vanguard in really mm -hmm. complicating the ways that nature and society are talked about, particularly looking at marginalized communities and how they are, aren't included um, in this conversation in general. And, um, you know, and then I got really fueled and energized. And honestly, I applied to uh, the school that had been my dream school sort of in undergrad in my undergrad career on a whim, literally on a whim. Like I, I applied and it was right before the like fall deadline because they do like spring and fall submissions. And so I took my GRE. I did like okay on it. And I applied just on a whim and was like, well, I probably won't get in. I'll just keep working my like catering job here until I can like prepare more and look at other programs. And I got in on the first try, even with my GRE scores not being so great. And so it's kind of been a upward trajectory from there and really seeing myself as an environmental professional. I love it. I love it. I'll, I want to back up briefly and talk about the power of being seen and the power of having someone believe in you. And I think that that's something that's discredited um, by so many people. The fact that this, I'm not sure if it was a professor or not. Did you say it was? Yeah. A, yep. Okay. The fact that this professor said, wow, you've got gifts here and you're really mm -hmm. passionate about this and you have a way of viewing the world that's different than your peers. 
I think you should go for this. Um, how many times in our lives have we just kind of been walking around with these gifts, kind of sitting on um, these amazing parts of, our, of ourselves, but then until someone actually says, hey, I see you, and I believe in you and what you're capable of doing, yeah. um, then things begin, begin to come alive for us. Yeah, it's so, I, it is so powerful to have somebody see you and then see these things that you maybe feel in yourself but maybe aren't confident enough to really like manifest or to to really show up in in that kind of in that way and i like i said i don't i was not even considering grad school i really didn't know what my next move was going to be i knew that i felt passionate about the environment and doing work around that but you know, it was a very small field in Arizona. And, you know, I didn't think there were going to be a lot of opportunities for me. And I was kind of just like going with the flow of life. And it really just took that one person to say, like, I see you, I see you're committed, I see that you're dedicated to studying and critiquing and sort of developing a philosophy around these things. And that's the kind of work and rigor that it takes to like be a graduate student. And I think that that would be worthwhile. And that was valuable to me because that was the pivot that made me say, you know what? No, I'm hungry for this. I, I think I'm going to pursue this. And I don't know what the track is. You know, it's not clear to me yet, but I, something in me is saying that this is what this is. My life is calling me and I need to do this. Yeah, and you owed it to yourself to listen to that voice, listen mm -hmm. to that that voice that, and listen to that curiosity, you know, yep. that said, I, yep. I, I think I may be onto something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the intersection between your environmental justice work and creativity. Like, is there a space where, where the Venn mm -hmm. diagram of life overlaps and you're like, oh, wow, I'm able to be a justice worker, but also a creative um, person as well? That is a really great question. And it's something that I... I think I'm really stepping into like this year in particular. Um, so I, I write poetry, I write essays, um, and a lot of the essays that I write focus on um, sort of the intersections of, of um, social equity, uh, social organizing and community, um, and then looking at uh, problematizing um, major discourses in the environmental movement and how they- Okay, so you're, you're, gonna have to, you're gonna have to break it down for me and the listeners. You said- Okay. Hubertizing? <laughs> Pro problematizing. Problematizing, which means to- <laughs> To complicate the simple narrative of how um, environmental problems are talked about. And I, you know, I, I've sort of been writing these things in, in the shadows, you know, for myself, thinking like, well, maybe I'll go back to school at some point. And, but being very hesitant and timid about like regularly blogging and sharing my thoughts and feelings with the world outside of my inner circle of people. And this year, I'm really feeling like, no, bitch, it's time for you to like use your voice. Like so many people have been telling you, like you need to share your writing. Like you don't have to necessarily go back to school if you're regularly like keeping up with your writing and blogging. And so I've just, luckily I have enough creatives like you in my life who really inspire me to be like, no, I can do this too, you know? And I have something to say and it is, you know, it's worthwhile because it's a unique perspective 
And even if there's a zillion people blogging about a certain topic that I am too, it doesn't make what I have to say any less valid. And I think I'm really, I'm really finally starting to step into, you know, um, actualizing who I am and my voice and my perspective and, and allowing that voice to shine through in my writing and what I uh, portray to the world. Awesome. Awesome. To normalize some of the feelings that our viewers and listeners might be having um, even today about uh, the blocks that they have in their creativity, could you talk to us a little bit about what those gremlins sound like um, when, they're, when they're speaking? Yeah. So this, I really struggle with this. I think it's a part of my personality to be my own worst critic. Mm -hmm. Me too. Me too. Me too. Right, right. Uh, it's a relatable... I feel like a uh, sentiment, but I, I think also coming out of being in academia for so long, it, it really made it worse because I felt like because my perspective and voice is so marginalized in, uh, in the environmental departments that I was a part of, I always felt that like you got to be twice as good sort of dynamic of feeling valid and so I think I became my own worst enemy and being like, well, this isn't good enough. And if I don't have an airtight, you know, sort of thesis and analysis, these white people are going to pick it apart and then it won't be useful for the culture, you know? And so then I just wouldn't share my thoughts and ideas or I'd, I'd, you know, sort of beat myself up and say like, this isn't nearly as articulate as you think it in your head. So like, why are you even trying? There's people who have said the things that you're saying better than you are. There's a million people talking about this thing. So why are you just going to be another drop in the ocean of, you know, people discussing these topics? And I'm still fighting that if I'm to be quite honest, you know, I'm, I'm really fighting the demons of sort of self-doubt and imposter syndrome. And um, I'm happy. I'm lucky. I'm blessed that I have a community of creatives who I do share my sort of intimate writings and thoughts and poetry with who are like consistently pushing me and encouraging me to put those things out into the world. And that really helps to have that validation when those demons seem larger than life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you said something very interesting that, that I want to um, put a, a thumbtack of life. And you said, you know, I'm just a drop in the ocean um, when lending my voice to these conversations. And I just wanted to ask you, what do you think the ocean is made up of? But right. the drops, you know what I mean? Like we, we do this thing where we discredit. It's like, you know, mm -hmm. you know, well, the beach is just, you know, a bunch of, you know, grains of sand. But like, right. what, do you, what do we think the, the beach is actually made of without those, uh, you know, without those grains of sand? You would have no sand. You would have no, you would have no sand, you have no beach. You know, there'd be nothing right. to enjoy. So um, we owe it to ourselves to challenge each other, to show up. And even in the incremental ways that we can and right. to let our voice be heard, which leads me to my next question. Um, if you could go to the mountaintop of your mind um, and mm -hmm. say one thing to people about environmental justice or about your creativity, what would you say? What would you want, you know, people to know right now? What's, what's in trend? What is, what is the thing that people need to pay attention to? So a thing that I'm, my whole like 
platform or soapbox is really to teach working class people that living a, a life of mindfulness and, and mindfulness with a bit, big M, not just in terms of environmental things and taking a bag to the grocery store, but in general, in the way that you live your life has both consequences on the material, physical, environmental reality around you, but also in an emotional, spiritual one from my perspective. And I am all about really shaking up the narrative of like, oh, being eco-friendly is for affluent white people. And like, I can't afford to live my life in this sort of way. Um, because being living a life of environmental material mindfulness has been commodified in capitalism as, you know, it's become a trend. And so it loses all the nuance and detail of how one can live a, a mindful life without buying into the eco-friendly brand. You know, um, from my perspective, living a mindful life is knowing how to be self-reliant and resourceful, knowing how to make your own materials, knowing how the things that you consume and use in your household, on your body, knowing what those materials are and how they were processed and who processed them if it wasn't you and understanding how those chemicals or those materials interact with the physical material world around you and so give us a, give us an example because you are you are academic beyond academic like your 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 literal brain like your your capacity yeah. for thoughtfulness is like like blowing my mind so okay yeah let me ground it sorry give, give, give me give me some uh like you know some cream of wheat sure so like for a very a very simple thing that i always like tell my family about is like i always take utensils with me and i always take a handkerchief like i just always keep those in my backpack unless i forget but i try to and that is a seemingly very simple thing but it really matters because plastic, there's so much plastic waste and plastic, your, our garbage that isn't recycled goes to landfills. Landfills are often situated in communities of color. And so you begin to see this cycle of how being mindful in an environmental way is a justice issue because the environmental bads are often concentrated in the most marginalized neighborhoods. And so it's the most important for people who are marginalized people and or live in marginalized communities to be to live in a system of mindfulness and to understand cycles and how the things we use and consume um, are part of that cycle. So, you know, you so, so to distill this down a little uh, even further, if I'm going to the, my neighborhood Chinese restaurant and getting my beef and broccoli mm -hmm. or whatever I'm having mm -hmm. um, in, in, that, in that moment, and then I am taking the plastic spoon and fork and knife that they're offering, that they're just throwing into the bag, whether I want it or not, I start telling them like, no, I don't need it. I'm good. I've got, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, utensils at the house, as most of us um, do. Um, right. And that's a privilege I, I recognize. Um, and so if I'm not connecting the dots that that plastic going into that bag is directly going into my community or a community that's adjacent to like me. Like mine, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm missing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. The, the other side of that coin, too, is that because we lived in such a capitalist, industrial, 
um, country, we're really separated from the actual value of material, right? So if you're living in like sub-Saharan Africa, I hear, for example, like street food in the city there, it's always just wrapped up in, in newspaper or magazine pages because paper is such a precious commodity there. They don't have the scale of industrialization where they can just like churn things out and then ascribe it to a very cheap price that doesn't actually value the energy and the material that went into making that thing. You know, so we're very divorced from understanding like, what was the actual energy and labor that it took to make this plastic utensil? And like, maybe if I understood that more, if I was connected to what it meant to be using a, but and, and plastics made out of oil and we all know that oil is finite, you know? So it's always. I, see, now I'm telling on myself, I, plastics made from oil. Mm-hmm. It's processed oils. Yep. What makes it hard? They have like, they have industrial processes of like, you know, pressing and, and, and doing like chemical uh, processing to make it into like a solid material. Wow. Well, I didn't know that. Yep. So it takes effort, like a huge amount of effort to turn it from oil into that plastic fork and knife mm -hmm. that we're eating with. And then of course that energy then translates, uh, and then the oil itself is what you're saying. It translates into a loss of a resource to the planet. Yep, exactly. And so I want to, I want to like, I want people to get excited, especially black and brown people to sort of get excited about like, you know, uh, excluding themselves from getting caught up in this whole trajectory of like using things in a disposable way. I want it to become sexy to be like, no, I'm like, I care about the material world and I understand the connections of how this affects my community or communities like mine and I'm going to value the materials that I have um, in a way where I'm really thinking about what I use and and how that goes back into the the cycles of the environment. Um, I want that to be cool and sexy and not in a way just because like you know, you bought a Nalgene that was $40 and you feel really cool about it, but <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Have you have you challenged um, the people in your life and your friends? Because I I feel personally challenged um, in this conversation to make sure that I have a fork, knife, spoon, and you know, and and a reusable kerchief with me everywhere I go. Why would I not? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, and that, this is another point of contention for me that I really don't like about, I, I feel it m way more in the like white environmental movement than I do other environmental spaces. But in general, um, there, there can be this kind of self-righteousness, right? About like, well, I'm more environmentally friendly than you. And like, how dare you use a styrofoam plate? And like, from my studies in terms of like pub public engagement and uh, how you make like social behavior changes, mm. shaming people does not make lasting social change. It just doesn't. People don't, I mean, research shows that like shaming people is not an effective way to make like large scale lasting behavior change. 
What it is, is making people think about what they're doing in comparison to their neighbors. So people are very influenced about like, am I the odd person out? Am I the one who's doing the social bad in society versus all everyone in my, in my community doing other things? And so I, from my perspective, I always try and lead with just sort of sharing the things I do in an attempt to, if somebody engages me about it, I'm not like, look at me, I have my reusable thing. But if someone asks me about it, I sort of go into a conversation like I'm having with you right now about why I do that. But I always try to maintain a tone of not having self-righteousness because, I mean, I think when people feel, and like, you know, very avid uh, vegans, like, you know, PETA, I think is a great example of like, when people feel like shamed and like overwhelmed by a big social problem, they just sort of don't want to think about it. Right. They, go, they go into a complete shutdown mode. They're like, exactly. I, you know, I, this is too much. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so I don't ever want to like intimidate people away from thinking about how they could make small life changes and sort of build over time to like be for more mindful in their life. Like that's what I'm all about and making someone think about reusing things in a way that's interesting. You know, like I, for example, I always lose my reusable bottles. So I don't really buy plastic reusable bottles anymore. What I do is when I buy a, uh, like a drink, a drink that's in a glass container, I just keep the glass and reuse it. And glass is actually probably better for you than using plastics because some plastics you know, are endocrine disruptors for your body. So that is a simple way to like reuse something. Um, And so I'm not contributing to like this whole trend of making eco-friendly things, but I'm also using something that's, you know, I'm reusing something very easily. Uh, Especially if you're losing it every other day. I mean, that's as well. Not sustainable. (laughs) Yeah, at all, at all. So here, I'm going to put you in the hot seat. Um, okay. When can people find and look for your writing as it relates to uh, environmental justice? Like, when are we going to see your published essays on the web? So within this month, I have two that I'm working on. Um, one is more so about, is not necessarily related to the environment. It's looking at um, how we create s- social safety nets, you know, like how we really hold each other accountable as like social groups. Um, And the, the, the push and pull between being accountable for one another, but also knowing our own boundaries of being self-reliant emotionally. Mm, mm, Um, mm. So I'm, I, I went through a period of just feeling really frustrated in my friend group about not feeling like I was doing a lot of emotional labor and not really getting that same level of labor back and Mm -hmm. being like, okay, there's some kind of issue here and I can't just blame it all on my friends, but I really need to think through like, why is this happening? And why is my labor, why is my emotional labor being exploited? So that's, I've been talking about it a lot. So I'm, uh, that should hopefully be out next week. And then Um, I am writing an essay about the experiences that I've had in my current job trying to organize uh, like black community leaders and their nonprofits around environmental, um, environmental advocacy issues and 
the successes and challenges of doing that work. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think that all of it is interconnected. Even in this conversation, you've created moments of, of space and instances of space for me where I was like, oh, wow, I never saw it that way, which I think is, which, which is the reason why you want to do your work. Right. Exactly. I'm glad I could do that. <laughs> yeah. Those aha bing bing moments. That's great. That's great. Well, I want to thank you for being on the podcast today. This was the most cerebral, intellectual, and brainy episode know, I've sorry. ever done. No, I feel no. insecure about that. Why? Why? I mean, because, well, because I, it's like, I, you know, I've been in, I've gone to graduate school, right? But like, at the end of the day, I always want my understanding to be shared with, you know, the average just the average Joe, you know, or Jay. I think that's your gift, though. I think your gift is that you think in these lofty academia um, laced spaces, but you're also super relatable, Stacia. So, like, it's it's one of those things where you're able to kind of bridge the gap for, you know, watersheds and food deserts and all of these different things. Like, if you don't have someone burying the water and bringing it from the mountain down to us, so like, you know, just kick a metaphor even further down the road. Right, right. Um, I'm, I'm digging it. You know, if we don't have, if we don't have the, the people bridging the gaps, I mean, there's, there's certain people that will only be able to relate to you on the academic level. And then there's people that will be able to relate to you in the hood. And it sounds like your work is to be able to do both of those things. Mm -hmm. And you've done it even in this episode in a way that creates a space for those two worlds to coexist. To come together. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so you're doing the unification work and building the bridges and it's, it's necessary. So I would never feel insecure if I were you or apologize for that because you're able to cross pollinate and be, you know, that, that Venn diagram that we were talking about earlier of the cerebral and the creative. Um, and so more power to you. Thanks for that affirmation. I appreciate of, of course, of course. You know, I'm always about smart brown people. <laughs> um, and so I'm going to give you uh, three more opportunities to shine in this conversation by giving you the three fill in the blanks that I always give all of our guests. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Uh, and it's, it may sound like it's coming out of, out of the blue because we've been in, in environmental justice and things like that. But I think our listeners and viewers will see how this all sinks. Um, love is. Um, I think love is is the energy is an energy of of growth of of growth and forward momentum um i think it's exchanged between people and beings and um i think love is that feeling of of being in your flow like andre in the flow and and feeling validated in in an emotional feeling and an intellectual feeling that feel that sweet spot of when, you know, the world is colored brightly by being so firm in in a knowing about a thing. That I think that's love for me. Mm, mm, mm. Joy is. I think joy is the expression of love. You know, joy is being able to have sheer happiness that's not tempered by having to contemplate why or how or whatever. It's just being present in the moment of expressing happiness. 
so good, so good. And freedom is. Freedom, that's, that's the most challenging one, unfortunately. Freedom. Um, I think freedom is being able to understand that we, we materialize our world. Like we, we make our circumstance. And I, I almost feel hesitant to say that because, you know, especially for marginalized people, I, I know for, from my own experience that it can sometimes feel as if everything in the world is thrown at you to make it difficult for you to succeed. And that's true. I mean, that's true and that's real. But at the same time, um, I've especially of late realized that despite the hurdles and challenges and whether it's fair or less fair than somebody else's path, um, I really do believe that we can actualize the things that we want and who we want to be. And freedom to me is under, is, developing the tools to empower oneself to know that you can be the architect of your dream of who you are of the way you show up in the world despite the hardships you know absolutely i you know i'm a believer in all that i'm a believer in all of that and um as the architect of your life stacia turner you're building a beautiful house and oh, Love City you. cannot wait to read all the things and to see how you um, directly uh, impact the communities that you seek to serve in love and joy and freedom. So we'll be, we'll be keeping our eyes on you. Will be. Thank you so much for this opportunity and thanks for always being a shining light of inspiration in my life. Like, honestly, Andre, you really do. You are one of those creative people that I referred to in my circle that really, you know, inspire me with the things that, that you do. Um, and with your just sheer love and affirmation of who I am and seeing me just that those dynamics really encourage me to say, you know, I can do this too. And it's worthwhile. And I want to encourage other people to know that they can do their thing too. And that it'll just be, you know, uh, a fractal sort of growth, hopefully, of... Yes, fractal! <laughs> ...of love and art. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. I love you, too. Thank you yeah. so much.